Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I'm Gittos Willen and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Uh, well, let's get straight into it because we've it's been a while since we've recorded. We've got a lot of games to look back on. We've got an entire transfer deadline day to look back on, which was very uh, eventful. And we've got two matches coming up this week to look ahead to. But there's only one place to start, and that is in one of the craziest games that I think any of us have ever been at. Uh, Swan- Luton Town 3, Swansea City 3, all three of us. We're at Kenilworth Road of the weekend. It was my first away game since the South Wales Derby in 2019, which finished nil-nil and could not have been any more different to the match that I saw on Saturday. Steve, we've got to go through it in stages. Let's start off with the first half. How bad was it? Uh, yeah, it, it was bad. Um, I mean, I was I was at Preston a few weeks ago and the, the second half there was incredibly bad. And I would say that, this was sort of on a par, really, wasn't it? We, we conceded sloppy, uh, sloppy goals. We didn't really offer any threat going forward. Um, yeah, what, what, what can you say, really? Pretty much everything that could go wrong did. And um, I think when, you know, if you're looking at, we made three subs at halftime, for example, I think, you know, a lot of them could really have been taken off. And you could argue the ones that were taken off probably didn't deserve to be uh, singled out in some way. It's just that you have to change it. But, yeah, it was a half of, well, were there any positives in the first half? I'm really not sure they were. No, I, I mean, the one positive was that it was only 3-0 at halftime. It could have easily been 4. Luton absolutely demolished us. Their high press, we couldn't cope with it. We couldn't play around it. Our decision-making was abysmal. We didn't really have any kind of shape. Decision-making was, was shocking, absolutely appalling. And... Matt, I think it's fair to say the fan, a lot of fans really turned on that team in the first half. And it, it the atmosphere got really nasty at times, didn't it? Yeah, it wound me up. I just thought like, it's the same. I mean, I think we were all united when Cooper was replaced by Russell Martin by a thought that this is going to take time. This is two years of anti-football. I, no one's going to sit here and say Cooper didn't you know, get incredible results because he did. But Russell Martin wants to come in and rip up the whole style and build us back brick by brick. And that's with no pre-season. And, you know, we've had COVID run rampant through the camp as well. We've It's just been such a rush start for him. The first break he had was the international break last week. And um, to hear the fans, you know, quite a lot, well, I say quite a lot. There was a there was a group of fans who, who wanted Russell Martin sacked. Um, this was after about 20 minutes of the game. And I just thought, God, the season's kicked off six weeks ago. It's just mental. But this is football for you. This is football fans. They, they're so impulsive and so um, knee-jerk. And I was uh, infuriating because I was just thinking, for me, the story will stay the same. Uh, from now until May, it's about survival this season and building and seeing progress with the style. Because for me, you can't realistically think that we are going to be, you know, challenging the top three, four in this division this year. I think to do this now, we have to start and build it all back again. And um, I think we've seen, I mean, the, the stats have backed it up as well. 
you know, the football we're playing, we're dominating the ball, we we're playing the least long balls in the whole division, and um, we just we everything is showing that there the building blocks are being put into place to but, make. But in, fa- in fairness, Matt, on in that first half on Saturday, we couldn't see any of that. I mean, it was no. it was a shock, and I mean, the fans were turning on Hamer and and every single outfield player. There were so many mistakes that didn't really they didn't really seem to know what they were doing, and it did, in fairness, look like there had been very little progress since the since the opening day. Because once again, we came up against a, pre- a pressing side, having played against a couple of teams recently who've sat back and invited us to attack, um, and we could not cope with with that press in any way, shape, or form. And they they destroyed us in that first half. He's not immune to criticism. And the, there's plenty out there which is valid. I mean, the fans singing to get him out, I think, is incredibly uh, premature. And I, you know, I, I think Russell Martin, you know, provided we stay out to the bottom three, I think he deserves the season at least to really try and put something in place. But yeah, it was awful. It really was. And you could say, you know, there are a lot of things where the Swans sometimes try to overplay it or try to be a bit too cute um in dangerous positions and sloppy pass and then invites pressure on uh i'm not particularly a fan of playing two men behind the sole single striker i much prefer to go two strikers up there and one man in behind uh namely olivier and cham uh to play in that hole because i feel like at the moment um the the sole striker is isolated. And you saw in the second half, it was a lot more dynamic. We were on the front foot. Luton couldn't get out to their 18-yard box. It was that dominant. But, yeah, the first half was shambles. The goals, all three of them were sloppy, poor defending. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of arguments going on amongst the away end. But, um, but you know what? I think what we're going to come on to now is is the reason why I think we need to be patient with this team. Well, before we get to that, I mean, quickly, Steve, there were two moments of refereeing controversy in the first half. Uh, one of them was the penalty inside or outside the box. I, I don't know what you two think. I felt at the time that it was definitely outside. The replays that I've seen, I would say, suggest that it, it looks just outside. It is a tight one. I don't know what you thought about that, but the one that's been discussed most Steve, on social media, it's been shared widely now, is uh, Henry Lansbury's kick on Ryan Manning, which, interestingly, got Manning a yellow card and also Henry Lansbury a yellow card. Did you think the referee got that one right? He didn't get either of them right, in my opinion. Um, But that one, I mean, like the Manning one, I had quite a good view of it, actually. I was probably quite lucky that there was no pillar in the way or anything. But at the time, it was like he's kicked him completely off the ball, really. I mean, there's no attempt to play it. And I did watch the highlights uh, yesterday, and um, like even on the the football league show, they they did pretty much. You know, I think it was Joby McEnough did say that he could have pulled out of that if he wanted to. I mean, that that was shocking, really. I mean, that's that should be a straight red every day of the week. And you know, from my point of view, with the penalty, he hasn't half made a meal of it. I, I'd go as far as to say it's pretty much a dive. There's there's not enough in it. Oh, I don't know. I thought I thought his heel was clipped. I'll be honest. I did think Norton had got himself into a, a real mess and got too tight to him and and clipped his heel. I thought I thought it was a foul, but I thought it was outside the box. Well, like I say, whatever. He definitely was looking for it, wasn't he? And he's he has conned the ref essentially with with that one. But it's funny how the ref saw that, didn't he? Um, but and but he had just as good a view as the man in one and and gives nothing. So. 
I think a nice little trip to uh, Spec Savers is uh, on the agenda for him. Matt, do, what do you think? Because that Manning one in particular, it's it's so random. It really is just not the kind of thing you expect to see. And um, yeah, the, the, I was actually surprised that there weren't more calls from the away fans for, for mm. it to be a red at the time. Because, you know, there was a bit of off, 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 off. But like when you think about the the force with which he kicked Manning, I was amazed that they weren't being for blood. It was um, I think I think the more you see it, the more horrific it gets, really, doesn't it? And it really is one of those ones where you think, if you watch it, you go, "Oh my God, what the hell is he playing at?" And then you get told that he was booked for it. That's when you just go, "What? No wait, I thought this was just like look at this awful challenge, like." He might get a six-match ban for assault. And then you find out he wasn't actually sent off for it when, uh, you know, it was clear as day. But um, I, th- I think uh, our editor, Danny J, actually, me, said uh, on Twitter, he was uh, very much of the opinion that um, he might have done us a favour. And I agree with him. I yeah. do. I think it's 10-man uh, Luton, 3-0 up, are going to put a 10 men uh, behind the ball and, and, and make it difficult for us to find pockets of space. But... Um, you know, we managed to we managed to get up in between them in the second half, and uh, maybe it benefited us that uh, that they didn't have him sent off in the end, and uh, a nice little bit of karma with the you know with what happened in the end. Yeah, I I actually agree with Danny there. I I thought I thought the same kind of thing after reading Street. Yeah, probably it would have worked in Luton's favour had they gone down to ten men and they just said, okay, we'll park the bus and we'll protect what we've got, do what Hull and Millwall had done in the previous matches and just try to frustrate Swansea. You know, it may have been that we'd still put in that kind of second half performance and turned it around, but I think it probably would have been more in Luton's interest actually to just play it safe from that point on. Um, from my point of view, I I, I agree with Steve and and Mac and Toby McEnough. There's, there's no way that Henry Lansbury doesn't know what he's doing there. I mean, he's, he, he can see Manning. You know, he, Manning is standing right over. But I saw um, somebody try to defend it on, on, um, uh, on Twitter earlier today, saying that oh, Lansbury's eyes are on the ball and he can't see Manning. How can you not see Manning? He was standing right next to the ball. To say that he c- couldn't see Manning is just it's worth pointing out. For those who have tonight, watch it back and watch it with the mindset of take Manning out to that picture. Look at where the ball is before Manning kicks it. He still doesn't get the ball even if Manning isn't there. And he even, goes for Manning. The ball he, is not there even when before Manning kicks it. So he, when Manning kicks it, is sheer frustration. And I don't know why, because they're three 0 up. But he, yeah. even if Manning doesn't touch that ball, he kicks the air then. Because I, I I personally think it's violent conduct. I think Lansbury yeah. knows. Don't get me wrong. Manning knows what he's doing as well. He's playing. You know, he's trying to slow the ball down and and make a nuisance of himself and trying to wind up um, the opposition. But Lansbury can see Manning. He knows what's going on and he sees a chance for a cheap shot. Yeah. But even if you accept the argument that he was trying to kick the ball and then Manning kicks it out of his way and it's a, it's a pure accident. I still and therefore, you know, not violent conduct. I still think there's a very strong argument to say that it's it's serious foul play because the force with which he he kicked Manning, you know, shin height. It's in all honesty, you know, 
if if a if a leg is planted the wrong way, that can cause you a serious injury. Um, it was that it was that brutal a kick, and um, yeah, I I the referee played extremely safe by showing yellow card, and I think if he got the chance to watch it back properly, I think he'd probably agree that he should have shown a red card. Um, but in the end, boys, it didn't actually make that much of a difference because. The second half performance could not have been more different, Steve. And instantly when they came out after halftime, the shot started raining in and, and it it just kept on going. And that set the tone for the entire second half. Yeah, it was a big improvement. I mean, as it seems to almost have this attitude a little bit that we didn't have a lot to lose because obviously the game looked completely hopeless in the 3-0 down, as you'd expect, really. But... Um... You know, we, we did start to to play a lot better, didn't we? It, I think what what Matt was saying, really, I mean, I think from my point of view, playing Grimes and Downs in the same team is quite cautious at times. And I can understand it in some games, but I, I'm not sure it's entirely worked and it doesn't then allow us to create many good chances. So I felt that putting in Cham a little bit deeper actually worked very well, for example, and that was one of the key reasons for me while we, we did do a little bit better. But it was... The other thing I did quite like was when there was a little bit of space for us to take a shot from outside the box, we seemed to be doing it rather than looking for that extra pass, which sometimes is what we do, and then it, the move breaks down. But obviously, really, all three goals are outside the box, and that's incredibly rare for us, really, but I think very encouraging as well. But, I mean, there's probably one other thing we should discuss, which is at 3-0, I'm pretty sure they had a breakaway and hit the post. I mean, if that goes in, I dread to think what would have happened, but... Um, yeah, it, uh, it didn't. And yeah, we saw probably one of the, the great all-time Swans comebacks. I certainly can't remember one as good as that. It really was. And, and like you said, there are these sliding doors moments in matches, aren't there? It's a, a bit like the Reading 4-1 uh, final day match uh, two seasons ago. You know, there were plenty of chances there for Reading to kill off our um, playoff hopes in, in the dying minutes of that match. But they kept on wasting them and, and we managed to take advantage. And you just need that little bit of luck to go your way in those circumstances. And perhaps, Matt, we got a little bit of luck with, well, at least one of the goals because Patterson's uh, shot from the edge of the area definitely took a big deflection, which certainly caught out Seaman Sluger. Um, and that kicked off the comeback. Olivia and Cham's goal, it's superb. But how much of it was down to the deflection, you think? I mean, first of all, with Pat, I said he's, you know, someone's watching down and smiling on him because uh, there's no way he should have scored a Blackburn opening day. The goalkeeper <laughs> practically threw that in the net. And um, again, there's no way that keeper shouldn't save that. I mean, when you get a solid hand to it and someone managed to still palm it behind yourself into the net, it's uh, it's awful, awful goalkeeping. And deflection or not, I mean, deflections to me only you know, get you out the danger if you if you then, you know, you obviously with your weight on the wrong side, you can't dive over to get to it. But if you are then getting a solid hand to it, excuses go out the window, then you need to be keeping that out of the net. Um, and Chams, you don't know. I mean, you don't know where that would have ended up. Certainly the fact that it, it you know, slices off the backside of the defender, gives it a wicked spin and uh, ends up, it, for me, it's, you know, Certainly, top three goals of the weekend. It was a phenomenal hit. Um, it was just great at that point, you know, to note what um, you were both saying just now that all, all three goals were outside the box and we were hitting them. And um, 
And that was what I think when I was saying earlier about Russell Martin not being immune to criticism. For me, one of the things you could level up the Swans um, in, in previous years was that we weren't, you know, taking chances early. And, and someone like Joel Pirro epitomises exactly the shift in mentality that I like to see because he's a man who will take a touch and shoot as soon as he gets a sniff of goal. It, you know, he's had plenty this season already. They haven't all gone in, but it just shows with his goal tally already that you don't score without shooting. And if you do hit it, you've always got a chance. And he is man. he's a man who is full of confidence, full of... Uh, belief in his own ability and um, he hits them early. He always hits them early and uh, the keepers can't get set and I really like that about him. Very different about... that to, to Andre Ayew, who is a fantastic player, he don't get me three, wrong. four but... touches, didn't he, I think, with Ayew and he was notorious for it but uh, you can't, as you say, you can't you can't discount his all-round ability, Andre Ayew, but when it came to, you know, split-second opportunities, he would sooner take the next touch and then try and you know, bend it in the far corner, or whatever. Which, when it worked, fabulous, whatever. But Perot doesn't always need to bend it beautifully into the far corner because he's he lacked on instinct. And um, when you watch that third goal back, the keeper is pretty much standing on his near post where the ball hits the back of the net. It's another shocker, you know. At least two of the goals uh, being Patterson and Perot's, he should have saved. But just goes to show if you take shots and you take, you know, you have a go you always got a chance. And all three of those goals were us taking a shot when in years gone by, we might have played it out wide and passed it sideways. And it was great. I think we were talking before we started recording, Gitto, there was a certain feeling in the away end second half. There was this kind of belief. We were camped in their half, weren't we? They could not get out of the 18-yard box, a lot of it. But certainly their half was under siege and um that was the change in mentality as you both sport mentioned the have a go mentality the nothing to lose and um and that's what i hope russell martin takes from it is they, whilst there was a bit of um you know oh well we could just do this now we've already pretty much lost this game but i hope he takes a little bit of that and realizes that a lot of that is applicable to games in the first half against teams like luton you know you can get at them and hit shots and, and start pressuring them at the back early doors. And, um, and 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 we saw that second half. And I hope he takes both sides of it and realises that there's a lot to be learned from that side of it, as well as the fact that, you know, the defensive mistakes in the first half have, um, have got to dry up. But yeah. um, it was great. The, the, the whole comeback, the atmosphere in the second half, the, the, the climactic finish, it was... Um, well, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it, to be honest with you. And Steve, I mean, Matt said there that there was a feeling after that second goal, right, we're back in this and there is a real chance that we can get something out of this. And you heard the, the crowd react to it. And, and there was just this this feeling that I, I just kept, I just turned, I was there with my sister and I turned to her and I said, imagine if we can get a third year, imagine what will happen. And then it reached the point where we didn't have to imagine anymore. And, I mean, at the time, when you've been three goals down and your striker comes up with, with that effort to make it three all, and suddenly pandemonium is unleashed, Steve. Yeah, I mean, it, it just shows you, doesn't it, why football is the greatest game. I mean, that, surely nothing else can 
can bring you such joy if you're right winning in the same way. Nothing can bring you the despair of the first half. I mean, yeah, we've, we've got that second. I mean, we, we were pushing. Uh, after we got the first, I felt we were pushing. And then we had a bit of a lull and I, I wasn't sure it was coming. When we got the second, then you're thinking, uh, there's five minutes left. And then the board goes up, you see six minutes and you're thinking, well, there's definitely enough time here to get it. Like The cynic in me said it'll be typical if we'll get a second to give us that glimmer of hope. And then we won't get the third. But to be fair, it was a really good move. And then as Matt has been saying about Piro, really, he doesn't need much of an invitation to to shoot. And then when that goes in, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen uh, you know fans on the pitch and and stuff like that. But that, that's the emotion of the moment, isn't it? I mean, it was a, a hopeless situation at half time, and so to rescue something, and we all know what it's like. If it's there's something about that last minute goal, and it's. Uh, you know, there's, there's not a feeling like it, I don't think. And, um, yeah, obviously, we, we've had to miss quite a lot the last uh, 18 months. So, you know, those moments are even more special then, aren't you? Because we've been starved of them. It was amazing. I just remember, so the goal went in. I turned, <laughs> kind of jumped up and down for like two seconds. And next thing, I turn around and everything's just gone berserk. There are, there are crowds of fans on the pitch. The subs bench is emptied. There's a smoke bomb going off in the box. Everybody's climbing over each other. It, it just, it, ah, honestly, it's quite possibly the maddest response to a goal I can remember at, at an away game. When do you think about it as well? It was only 800 fans there. There could have been 8,000 at that point, Gitto. Oh, you know, the great thing about Luton is it's a small ground. It's about the same size as the Vetch. And that away end is fantastic because the roof really keeps the noise in. It's, it's, everybody's really crammed in and, you know, nobody's sitting down, everybody's standing. It is ideally suited for that kind of, that kind of atmosphere. And it was like just somebody had, had, had stacked up a bunch of, a bunch of firewood and that 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 goal just lit the match, and just well, I say a pile of firewood. It was firewood with fireworks mixed in with it because it just exploded at that stage. It absolutely everybody in that stand lost control, apart from the one man who I saw on one of the replays just casually standing there and clapping. I like fair play to him for keeping his cool while everybody else around him was losing. Don't know why bothers going. Like <laughs> if that doesn't get you, you know, excited, then then nothing will. Um, but it was just, uh, it was, it was just an incredible scene. And the thing is, it could have actually got better mm. because the Swans, you know, at that stage, we still had a couple of minutes left to play, and there was one moment where Ethan Laid got past Seaman Sluger, pulled the ball back, and I was starting to think, oh my gosh, is this going to yeah. be four? I I can't actually imagine what it would have been like had a fourth gone in. It, uh, to be fair, we've done Luton a favour because I think uh, Kenilworth Road would have lost his safety certificate had we scored a fourth um, in the 96th minute, as it were. Um, Oberfemi, you know, he just couldn't quite, you know, beat his man to the to the open goal there. But um, if it had gone in, then I, I dread to think. I, there certainly would have been injuries in the away end because it was absolutely insane after the equaliser so um thankfully the general mood was as absolutely like gone as the game was 3-0 was enough to send everyone home in absolutely delirious spirits 
um, yeah, so it, it didn't it didn't matter too much in the day. And it, when the dust settles and you look at it and you think, oh God, can you imagine if we had, as you just said? But um, three all was enough for fans and. Uh, and yeah, for the safety of everyone concerned, I think we all might have been the best uh, best result because um, it was uh, as you as you've already described, it was uh, quite chaotic to say the least. Uh, fan, like you say, fans on the pitch, flares in the box. Um, yeah, me ref might have had to take the players off the pitch <laughs> if 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 we'd scored a fourth. I don't think there would have been a pitch left if I'm being honest. Um, I, I I if you said there. You know, it, it felt like a win. I, I remember walking back to the town centre and just checking my phone to see, oh gosh, what's that done to the table? And then seeing that we were level with with the team third from bottom, I was thinking, oh yeah, we didn't win, did we? We only got a draw, but it didn't feel like that in any way, shape, or form because it, it was, you know, it was the celebrations were what you'd expect for for a win. Um, and I mean, Steve, that we we've slated the first half performance. But how good was that second and a half performance? And and I gotta give a special mention to Olivia and Cham because it's a long time since I've seen an individual performance that good from a Swansea City player. Yeah, um, like you say, it, it was superb, wasn't it? We and we just seemed to play with this like freedom, didn't we? I think it's probably the best way to describe it. And, and Cham was superb. I mean, the goal did capped it off, really, didn't it? But he. You know, he was he was always seemed to be on the ball. He was playing nice passes. He he was driving a team. So I I think the thing with Encham is, and sure we'll talk about our transfer business at some point. But I mean, he's probably the type of player that on ability shouldn't be with us. I think there's obviously been a couple of issues with him where you know um, maybe off the field stuff or maybe his attitude has has not uh, been right or something like that. Because I mean, he, he was very good when he was at Celtic under Rogers, but obviously after he left, it didn't seem to be. The same for him, but I mean, I could easily see him maybe staying here for a season and then someone coming in and giving us a decent transfer fee for him, for example. So I think we are lucky in that sense to to have him. We've we've taken what is probably a little bit of a gamble, maybe, but on ability, I mean, I think we've seen it now, haven't we? That uh, this is a guy who could really be a, a top player for us, I think, in uh, in this division, really. So it's it's a lot to be encouraged about, isn't it, with him? Yeah, absolutely. And and there were a lot of plays in that second half. I mean, the entire team played brilliantly in that second half. But Matt, I mean, others who stood up, Piru, not not too bad for what one former director said was the worst <laughs> player that we'd, uh, that we'd ever buy. Uh, he's not doing too badly, is he? Um, I thought um, Patterson, who does blow hot and cold, I thought he was absolutely fantastic in that second half. Uh, Grimes really upped his game. And I, I thought Ethan Laird was an absolute yeah. constant threat down that right side and absolutely tormented uh, Luton's left back. And he really does look like he's going to be a serious weapon in this league. Well, I, I thought for a moment there you were going to, uh, you know, admit uh, Ethan Laird, which I was going to jump in and, and, and say, but I'm glad you mentioned him because... Uh, what a signing he's proven, signing he's proven to be already. I mean, he looks every bit and you may laugh at this and you may tell me it's premature I think he's a better player than Aaron Wan-Bissaka I, I do I, I watch you know you see a lot of Premier League that's football pre- that's premature that's premature I, you could say that but I look at him and I think he's got more about his game I think he's got more about his game and he's fantastic he's such a threat and uh, I've no doubt he makes his mark in the Premier League in the next 
18 months. I, I, I really do. I think he's he's waiting to make it. And there's really looking at it and saying um, that Conor, Conor Roberts came or stayed here and came back into this team. They'd have to play on opposite wings because, unfortunately, I don't think Conor Roberts unseats Ethan Led in this team. I know he's gone now, so that's a conversation that, that is null and void. But in terms of we were talking about having two options that side, well, he'd have to play on a different side because he, Ethan Led is, is just offering the constant threat. As you say, he tormented the defence, but he's been doing that since the start of the season. And he just there's nothing that he isn't afraid it's not sorry that he is afraid to do. I mean, he can run around the outside of a man and beat him for pace every time. But also, as we see on many occasions, he's happy to put his foot on it and then run inside with the ball as well. So you, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't with him. You don't want to, normally with a winger or wing back, you want to show him outside, show him onto his weak side. But I'm not really sure he's got a weak side, to be honest. He looks, uh, we knew when he signed signed him that uh, that he could play this either side of the defense which already gave us a little bit of a hint um of his ability to um to work at either side but um what we're seeing is he's he's, he's there he's, he's he's there for us and he's got that ability to really make a difference when we need it and um fortunately that sort of player can stretch teams and make you um more dangerous on the attack because you're going to have to get someone out to him and as we saw with the equaliser, it just creates that pocket of space. Then Joe Apiro, superb to hang his hunt, run back. I mean, most strikers you'd think would make a dart into the box there, but he was clever enough to say, do you know what? Everyone's running into that box. I'm going to hang back 20 yards out, ask for the ball. He gets it and then dispatches it brilliantly. And I think that there is is great footballing intelligence, both from Piro and Ethan Led, to make sure that it was... Um, you know, we 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 got the equaliser, which we we deserved in the end. But um, notable mentions to the players you have mentioned as well. I thought as well, um, Ryan Bennett. Again, I thought his his passing, which is one of the big criticism I had after the um, the Blackburn game. In fact, I had that criticism of the whole defence, to be honest with you. But I think now his passing has come on such so much in such a short space of time that um, I, I've been proved wrong, or I'm being proved wrong at least. Um, he's looking more composed. He's he's spending as much time on the right wing as he is at centre-back now. Um, it's just weird. It's, it's a weird sight seeing right, <laughs> on the right wing. He hasn't, got, he hasn't got the frame, the pace, or, or much of what you'd expect from a right winger, to be honest with you, but he's getting up there and... Um, yeah, it, as as one one of my mates said earlier, it's it's it won't it's only a matter of time before he gets on the end of a cross in open play, because I think I think he's getting up the pitch more and more, and um, it's just something you don't expect to see. But uh, no, it's great. I uh, there was a lot of lot of great performances in that in that second half in particular, and um, and as I mentioned earlier on, it's just something to when they look back on the game. It's as much about what they did wrong in the first half, but the, what they did right in the second half as well. Because, as you say, Grimes was was superb. The, the shift in tactical nows to, to put in Cham there and, and give us uh, a different option rather than two sitting sit in centre midfielders and, and give us a little bit more mobility in the middle and more forward thrust. Um, and we saw that with um, um, Patterson's goal. 
And Cham runs that ball fully 40 yards, you know, up the pitch before he squares it to Patterson. And it just gives us that drive from midfield, which we were otherwise lacking. Um, so hopefully there's lessons that will come out of this game that will stand us in great stead for the rest of the season because um, there was plenty to admire about that second half. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. It basically summed up that match, possibly how far, we, how much more we work we have got to do judging by the first half performance, but that second half performance really showed the potential in this side and hopefully will act as a bit of a springboard going forward. Um, Just before we move on to discuss other things, we unfortunately have to talk about the less savoury side of of Saturday's match. Um, You've all probably read the reports that um, Rhys Williams was uh, allegedly racially abused by uh, somebody in the home crowd which is absolutely despicable. It's um, unfortunately far from the first time that one of our players has had to uh, put up with this kind of racist abuse. It usually happens online. To see it happen in a stadium is definitely a throwback, um, but it, it just shows the the football the problem the football's got at the moment. And sadly, we as a club can't take the moral high ground on this issue because the racism wasn't isolated to that incident. Um, A number of us heard racist chanting from Swansea City fans in the second half, including, um, and well, on top of that as well, Tommy Robinson's name being chanted, which is depressing beyond belief, I'll be honest. Uh, It says a lot about a certain section of our fans who still live in the dark ages and who thankfully judging by the response of fans around them, are not welcome, quite frankly, because plenty of people turned around to them and told them to shut up in no uncertain terms. But the fact that these people actually tried to get these chances, chance started in the first place, is just disgusting. And it's it's not the first time that we've heard this. I've heard it down the years in places like Leicester and Birmingham, other places which have uh, large um, South Asian populations. It's... A problem that we still have. There are these people who think that football gives them that cover still to to be racist and to get their abhorrent opinions voiced. And sadly, we are, like I said, in no position to take that moral high ground then when one of our players is, is abused because we've got our own problems. And um, it's come to the point now where, where if we go to somewhere like Luton, somewhere like um, uh, Birmingham or Leicester, which have substantial uh, ethnic minority populations, it's something that we've got to have in the back of our heads that there are people out there who will try to use that as an excuse. Um, and the important thing is that we, as decent fans, make it known to them that they don't have a place in there. So sorry to end it on a on a dampener there, but it's it's important that we do call it out, and it's important that we do actually draw attention when it's our own fans doing it, as well as when it's opposition fans. Um, moving on now, um, Steve, um, to a subject which isn't much cheerier. We're going to quickly run through a few of the games that we haven't discussed on the pod, uh, stretching all the way back, first of all, before the international break to Preston. You went up there just very quickly. Tell us how bad it was. Um, well, to be fair, we started all right. And obviously we scored a nice goal. Cullen with a little flick and then had that feeling with uh, Piro. Uh, once he got in, he just... He's just got that goal-scoring knack. I just thought, uh, this is going in. And it went. And, um, yeah, within a couple of minutes, Preston equalised. And, um, yeah, it was all really downhill from there. We conceded a, 
a disappointing one just before half time then and then Bender with a bit of a rush of blood came out and uh, clattered uh, the Preston player. He could have been off. But it was a bit of a strange one to see him get a yellow because from where I was, I was thinking, well, if that's a foul, he should probably go. If it's not, obviously, then you know it shouldn't be a free kick or nothing. But so to see him get a yellow was a bit of a strange one, I thought. But um, Preston scored from the free kick. And then after that, we were really, really poor, if I'm honest with you. Um, I'm not sure we actually had a touch in their box in the second half which was quite disturbing, considering the fact I don't think Preston are much of a side at all. So, yeah, it wasn't great. I mean, I wasn't too alarmed, purely because I think, again, we were missing a couple of players from COVID. We, we, there had been a lot of issues in there. I think there were seven games in 22 days. The manager only came in five days before the first one. You know, a, a disappointing start was hardly a, a massive shock, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, obviously, it, it was disappointing, but yeah, these uh, it happens, doesn't it? And then, if anything, it, the, the good thing probably was that the transfer window was open. And um, that obviously then maybe gave us that bit of a push to think, right, well, maybe we do need to get another couple of players in here because, you know, we're, we haven't had a great start of the season. Yeah, and um, Matt, we, we then had the transfer deadline day, which we'll discuss in a bit. We had the two-week international break, which acted as a bit of a mini pre-season for Russell Martin. And then we got two quickfire home games against Hull and Millwall, two teams who are down towards the bottom end of the table, along with the Swans. <laughs> You'd have thought it was a good chance to to get our first home win of the season, but two nil nil uh, results, uh, two nil nil draws, which the, where the Swans dominated the ball, but um, and had had chances in a couple of these games, but couldn't quite find that clinical touch to to win them. Um, how how did you view these matches? Were you kind of glass half full or glass half empty afterwards? I surprised myself this season, you know. I find myself a lot more um, optimistic and 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 um, patient with what we're doing because I think I can see what we're trying to do as well, and I know that this won't happen overnight. So when we look at, in particular, the Hull game, I thought it was superb. I mean, they were hanging on for dear life they had they offered absolutely nothing and we could still be playing now and it would be you know whole nil because we were just all over them and i think we did everything but score um which you know is unfortunate you know the game is about you know scoring more than the opposition and we couldn't do that but um i thought the whole game was was a real marker for a performance level that we can expect to see um when russell martin gets it right news it, it was noted that um where you mentioned earlier that uh the first half at luton when they pressed us we had nothing like blackburn well hull and millwall were not interested in coming out of their half really um in the last week and i and, and i think that told with the with the dominance which you just mentioned um uh but i was impressed that it wasn't dominance without the purpose against Hull. To a lesser extent, Millwall as well. I didn't think Millwall was quite as a, as much of a battering, but um, and to be fair to them, they did have a couple of chances themselves. We could have snatched it, but um, I thought, yeah, I thought I thought the Hull game was great. I thought if we could perform like that, I think we'll win eight, eight times out of ten. Um, but you just you you can't account sometimes to being incredibly unlucky or not quite getting the final touch on a cross and stuff, but. Um, yeah, um, performance-wise is 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 good. I just wanted us to 
get that little bit. If we get the ball in the back of the net, it pleases everyone then because the, the, the purists, if you like, the ones who just, who first and foremost want to see good football and then the results will come, will be happy with what they saw. But also the fans that are a little bit more um, results-based and just think, right, okay, if we start winning soon, we're in real trouble, which, you know, is not an in, not an invalid argument by any stretch, but maybe the fans that want to see more instant results, um, they would have been pleased as well. So, you know, it's finding a balance. Um, clearly, Russell Martin has one plan, and that's plan A, and, um, and he wants to push that agenda as much as he can. And um, and good for him. I mean, he's not going to suddenly start lumping the ball forward. He's not going to start playing, play, trying to play knockdowns off the big man or anything like that. Not that we've got one to do it with, but you know what I mean. Um, he wants to get plan A right and work it properly. And um, you know, they they they'll come if we keep playing like that. And I think uh, I think they were positive performances on the whole. My, my, um, Steve, what about you? I mean, two nil-nil draws. Uh, that's one goal in four home games so far this season in the league, and that came in a three-one defeat to Stoke. Is that something that concerns you? The fact that we we haven't been able to find the back of the net in against what, for the most part, have been you know struggling sides in Sheffield United, Hull, and, and Millwall. Yeah, it's it's not great, is it? I mean, you, you can't dress it up. Um... You know, I think against Hull, we were a bit unlucky. I thought we were the better side, as Matt said, really. I mean, you know, we should have had a penalty for the lead one. And I think that the man in one could have been one as well. So, you know, that if we'd got the penalty and then got the win, that would have made a bit of a difference. And I also think as well, if we'd got a penalty in that game, the game may have opened up a bit because Hull you know, were quite negative. Weren't they? they were just sitting deep. And sometimes it can be a case of if you get that one goal, then you might well get another one purely because the opposition then have to do something and their game plan's been undone. So, you know, I think the Millwall performance wasn't as good, but arguably we did create better chances in that game. I mean, the Oberfermi one was, he was a little bit unlucky. Um, I think the the Patterson one in the first half, I mean, if Laird hasn't blasted the ball at him and just plays it nicely along the floor in the box, then he probably would have scored that. So, yeah, I, I think we just have to be patient, really, don't we? I, I think it will improve. I think, if I'm honest, I now that after the way we've finished at Luton, I would like to see us start with that team uh, rather than playing with Grimes and Downs, as I said earlier, and also playing with two up front because I think that will give us a bit more of a purpose because, obviously, it's great to see us get those three goals in the second half the other day, but before that, it was four goals in seven and a half games, and obviously that that's nowhere near good enough, is it? So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping now that We've played with that team and it worked. That we will start with that this Saturday and uh, hopefully then we'll uh, have a bit more of a cutting edge. Yeah, I mean, we I think we've taken about 10 minutes to discuss um, Preston, Hull and Millwall while the Luton chat seemed to go on for two hours. Um, I'm sure you won't mind that as listeners uh, this week. We'll just uh, go back again now to discuss transfers because the end of the transfer window was pretty hectic, um, as it always seems to be these days uh, at Swansea City. Um, the big news, I guess, is uh, the de- the biggest news probably was the departure of Connor Roberts, player who's you know been at Swansea since he was a little kid, a Swansea City fan, uh, a player who we've all you know loved watching over the last few years. But uh, Matt, it was time to say goodbye, and he's 
Gone to Burnley. Uh, what was your impression of the uh, transfer as a whole? Obviously a disappointment to, to lose him, but can you understand from Robert's perspective going to the Premier League and, and from the club's perspective to to cash on um, cash in on him, sorry, uh, as he enters the final year of his contract? Yeah, and only surprise, I guess, is, is, is well, it, I suppose it's twofold. First one is that um, Roberts was the was the one to go out of the the sellable assets in their final year because he was uh, injured. So that perhaps he would be the one that uh, would stay for that purpose. Um, and 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 the second shock was that once it happened, he was the only one to go because uh, I thought maybe that um, our Grimes deal would have been uh, would have been the, the the done deal of the day. Really, um, it seemed you know. Prolonged interest there, and um, but Roberts is you know he, he deserves a shot at the Premier League. He does. He's been a standout performer for us for a number of years now, and I think his um, game has improved. I think he certainly um, found his position really as a wing back. I think he perhaps previously wasn't quite as comfortable at, 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 at right back but once he's been given the license to maraud up and down the wing well he's like the Duracell bunny isn't he he, he can go and go and go all game and uh, he's got an end product which isn't something you can say for all full backs he not only produces the goals we can score them as well so he's got a lovely knack of arriving in the box at the right time so there's no doubt why he's got the you know potential to make in top flight Always a gutter when you lose a, a local lad come good though, isn't it? Um, and uh, for me, he epitomised the Graham Potter team, the one we all fell in love with because everyone may as well have been born and raised in Landau in that team. It felt like everyone played with passion for the shirt and uh, and he epitomised that attitude. So, um, yeah, gutted to see him go, but wish him all the best and hopefully he makes a real mark um, for Burnley. And um, and the transfer deadline day in itself was busy enough for us, so we'll get on with it. <laughs> yeah, um, another player who left, Steve, was Jamal Lowe. How do you think he's going to be remembered by Swansea City fans? I think, uh, obviously, the, the standout moment is the, the double at Cardiff, and it's just a crying shame that we weren't there, because that would have been one of the all-time uh, great away days, probably even better than Saturday, uh, which uh, I don't say lightly, but... Um, yeah, I think from my point of view, Jamalo didn't really suit us. I, I thought that from day one, really. I mean, don't see him as a striker. See him as more of a wide player. This manager doesn't want to play with wide players. I, I don't think he suited him. And I think the the reason that he was sold for what was probably not a great price was that it was reliant on him going to get Michael Oberfemi in. And that was a, a player that the manager clearly wanted. So, yeah, I think just one of those things, no problem with Jamalo. I, I wish it well. And, um, yeah, I, I think uh, that's probably a better move for him rather than uh, sticking around here. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does, um, you know, at a club where the, the, he's going to face some competition. I don't think he's going to be a regular starter um, and see if he can make the breakthrough there. But yeah, it, it seems, you know, the low didn't really feel that he had a place at Swansea going forward long term. But, um, you know, in the, in the year that he was with us, he scored 14 goals in a team that didn't really score many goals and certainly played his part in getting us to the playoffs. Um, a lot of incoming players. Uh, we'll, we'll go through them quickly, Matt. Um, Reese Williams, Olivier Encham, uh, Martin, Michael Obafemi. Which one of those on deadline day 
excited you the most? Um, well, it was one of the front two, really. I, I actually really like the threat that Obafemi provides, but just for sheer stature in the game already and the fact that he had... Um, Obviously, the, the the caliber to play at um, you know in in the European level, and as Steve mentioned earlier on, Olivier and Sham is potentially you know worth quite a few million pounds, and not at this level either. Um, so, I think I get um, with absolutely no disrespect to either player, if anyone misinterprets this, I get Leroy Fur vibes in that I always felt with Leroy that he had the ability. That was never in question. He was when he wanted to turn it on. He was the best player on the park, and with Ferry, always thought too often he didn't want to turn it on. Now I've got no, no such concerns with Encham at the moment, but that was the one thing the Celtic fans said about him when we when we signed him was that you know you've got a hell of a player if he can be asked, and so that's where I got the the comparison from. But um, hopefully we keep him tuned in and keep him um, enthused for the project because. Uh, at the moment, he's he's proven um, why you know why he's played at such a level because he's uh, he's, he's he's certainly something we were lacking, and he provides uh, a lot of uh, attributes which um, which we need on the pitch. So uh, I was excited by him, and I've not been disappointed so far. Yeah, I think the Leroy Fair comparison in terms of style is a, is a pretty valid one. He's a player that receives the ball on the half turn, half turn looks to get us moving forward. You know, and at his best, he just he just uses class. Um, hopefully, he can show a bit more consistency than Leroy Fair did. Um, Fair was, you know, brilliant on his day, but um, or oh, pretty awful when he didn't want to be. Uh, didn't didn't really feel up for it. Um, Steve, what, one of the main stories of of transfer deadline day, and Matt's touched on it, is Matt Grimes, who who didn't move anywhere, despite widespread um, speculation that he would be going. So a lot of people thought there was, it was a done deal even. Um, but he stayed. D- despite the fact that there were bids for him, are you surprised that the Swans put up a fight to, to keep Grimes? And considering, apparently, we, the alternative had he left was um, uh, Tariq Fosu from, from uh, Brentford. Do you think we made the right choice in keeping Grimes? Because this has really divided opinion among among fans too. Um, I think we may have made a mistake, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I like Grimes. I always have. Um, but when a player is in the last year of his contract, and I personally don't think he's going to sign an extension, from what I've heard, that indicates to me that maybe we should have just moved him on because, you know, you could have got a few quid in then. And if we're honest, I mean, We've got quite a lot now of deeper midfielders, but we are lacking players for the number 10 position. And Fossil would have been a really good addition in that sense. So, like, if I'm honest, I think maybe we should have done that deal. I mean, I, from, from my point of view, I'd rather a different midfielder would have left. But the fact is, um, you know, there, were, there was interest in Grimes. He's got a year left. We would have been able to command the fee for him. Sometimes you need to maybe do a deal like that where you, you sell someone you'd, you'd rather not sell, ideally, but it's the right thing for the team and you bring someone else in in a position that is you maybe need more. I mean, I, I made this point to someone the other day about you look at when the Swans sold Ben Davis, I'd say pretty much everybody didn't want him to go. And, and I was one of those people. But that deal then allowed us to bring in Sigurdsson and that made us a better team in a position that we really needed strengthening. And you'd look back at it and say that we did the right thing. So, I mean, 
sometimes that's the type of decision I think that we should have made. So, you know, t- time will tell. At the end of the day, if uh, you know Grimes is, could well leave on a, a free in the next summer, and you know, that would be disappointing. But you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it pans out. But you know, when we are struggling for goals and struggling for creativity, yeah, I, I can't help but think that maybe I wish we'd uh, we had uh, sacrificed Grimes and uh, brought Force a win. If I'm honest. What about you, Matt? Um, how do you think of this? Because obviously, Fosu would have been a loan deal for a, for a year, but Matt Grimes is probably only here for a year. You know, when you look at his age and contract situation, it would be surprising at this stage if he turned around and and committed his his long term future to the Swans. So, who would we have got the most out of for that remaining year, Matt Grimes or, or Tarek Fosu? I agree with Steve. I, I've got a massive amount to 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 add to it. To be honest with you, I think uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm probably not as high in the you know follow me on, if you follow me on Twitter you probably know I'm probably not as high in the Macron's fan club uh, as 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 others. But um, in terms of uh, his um, sorry, what what the what the Swans need at this time, I think um, Fosu would have given us something that we don't have. Or we we we're short on at least, and um, and 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 Grimes is at a position, you know, of varying ability. We've got five or six players, excuse me, that can play his role. Um, and I'm not saying like for like, I'm I'm, I'm not saying anyone is as good at it as him, but I'm just saying there are players that play in that position, and um, and we've got plenty of them, and. Uh, it it would have been something I would have been doing. I think the fossil deal as well to add insult to injury was actually um, a loan with uh, with an option to buy as well. So had the finances been agreed, which by all accounts it sounds like they were with Brentford, um, we'd agreed on the, the the terms of the deal, and it was just that we decided to keep hold of Grimes that um, that the deal collapsed. So um, that's the big disappointment for me is that. If we'd done a deal with Brentford in which we could have potentially this time next year be making Fosu a permanent Swansea player, that to me would have improved us as a as a squad and as a as an outfit to um what I think it should be uh, a drive for the top six next season. Um once Russell Martins had the, the opportunity to build his squad and um and embed his, uh, his 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 philosophy, so um, that would have been a great asset for us, for me, I think. And uh, I am disappointed as a Steve really in in terms that we didn't get it done. Hopefully, it's not dead in the water for January. Who knows? Yeah, I I, I totally get the argument in in terms of get, cashing in on Grimes and bringing in a more attacking player. Um, but I don't think it should be underestimated either how much Grimes does contribute to this team and how much. Uh, of uh, how much we need a Grimes type player in that midfield to get um, Russell Martin's style working properly. I don't think it should be underestimated. And I think Grimes does a lot of stuff which goes under the radar as well. And he he does, you know, he's very high in the tackling stats. His passing, you know, is is, is very underrated. I think a lot of people say he does only does backwards and sideways passes, which, you know, it's been proven that that's completely wrong. Um, but I, I totally understand the argument in terms of getting in a more attacking player. And who knows, at the end of the season, we may look back and say, oh, we, we probably should have taken taken that opportunity. But um, I'm not disappointed that we've kept a player of Grimes' quality because I do think he is um, 
you know, has the potential to be a really big player for us this season. Um, I mean, looking back at the transfer window as a whole, Steve, how do you rate it? It's been one of major changes. Yeah, it has. Um, I think, I suppose, when you look at the players that we did lose in the summer, you know, the likes of AU and Gray in particular, I mean, that was always going to make things difficult. I mean, it's it's hard to say that now that we've got a better squad than what we did maybe last season. Um, but I'd, I'd certainly feel, when you look at the lone players that left, and like I said, that they would gone, I think at, at that point, you know, we were weaker than what we are now, I think. Do maybe lack that number ten? I think certainly maybe an extra option uh, in that position anyway. But I do feel more optimistic. And the good thing from my point of view is, as much as we did have some good loan players, I think now we have invested in a couple of players, and I think there's a few of them that have got a resale value. I'm not saying I want us to sell players at all, but we've got to be realistic about these things. That you know the parachute payments have ended now, so financially, you know, we probably are going to have to sell somebody every summer to sort of make us like self-sustainable and I think with the players that we brought in younger players um, you know um, the likes of maybe Piro obviously has made a very good start hasn't he and I think Downs is going to be a good player for us and, and Cham obviously you know that one he is a little bit older but you know if he has a great season then again there could be interest so I, I think we've done well in, in that sense because I think the assets that we had had run dry really and that was concerning from I would say so I, I think we have done good business. I'm I'm quite happy, but I do think it will take two to three transfer windows for this manager to have the side that he wants. So that word patience has got to be uttered again. Yeah, and uh, the resale value point is is really important because not that I want to bore people, but obviously the football club's a business. You you need to find ways of of and and in the championship, you know, where the TV money isn't there, a lot of clubs are operating at a loss. You need those um, consistent sales of of players to to keep, you know, to keep funding future transfers, and that's what the Swans have been doing over the last few years. That's what we're going to have to keep doing. But I think we've we've seen this window. It's it, it's youth. That's where the real value is. That's what clubs are paying big money for is is real promising youth talent and you know when you look at a couple of a couple of the players that we've brought in permanently this summer there is real potential there for resale value which you know works out both ways for us either they become really good players and uh, and, and propel the swans up the league or um they can go elsewhere and, and the swans can benefit financially from that matt, matt what a, what about you how how would you rate this window um and you know, do you think Russell Martin now has enough tools in that box to to do an effective job here? Yeah, I think I'm not. I think we could have done with another attacking player, but I don't think that's the reason, or I don't think that's exclusively the reason, at least, as to why we've had um, a slow start. I think we could have expected it before a ball was kicked. We should have. He didn't have a bloody preseason year. So, I mean, the man's. Only really got training with us during the international break just now. So um, this is the point now where you start seeing the performances and uh, hopefully in the coming weeks, the results as well starting to starting to take shape. Um, but yeah, as far as the team's concerned, I echo both your points. I mean, Michael Oberfemi, um on a permanent, uh, I can't remember the actual figure, but it was cheap, wasn't it? I mean, they thought he would cost... I think they turned down. Did they not turn down like five million from Blackburn? 
I think it's around, I think it's around one point two one point five million or something like that. Is it? I, I, yeah, I could, and I'm sure they turned down like five from Blackburn with regards to the Adam Armstrong situation. Um, anyway, uh, I think it was a lot of business that went on in the summer, which showed how ruined the market is, really, isn't it? But I was happy, you know, like you say, and Chams come in, you got Patterson come in. We did a bit of early business with the likes of Liam Walsh as well. Um, so uh, we've we've made the the squad, I think, stronger in terms of, as you say, just assets on the books. Of course, we have still got, you know, like you say, brought in Reese Williams, you bring in Ethan Laird on loan. Um, but the, you, you do beef up your squad with loan players. I think overall, um, our, our squad is is strong um and i think the likes of um yeah, it's always a gamble from the from the area of z but uh joel p joel p Rowe is uh proving himself excuse me i, I think my uh, alexa thinks i've just woken her up so apologies for that i've just taken a plug over <laughs> uh yeah joel p Rowe is uh proven so far to be the right side of the risk in terms of the uh the, the signings from that division he's come in and uh scored um scored a few early goals which always helps um and i'm positive i'm i'm positive that now it's down to uh to russell martin to get the players in the sort of um mindset and playing the sort of football he wants them to i certainly don't think when you neymar start in 11 that it's um noticeably weak when you compare it to other teams in this division i think it's uh it's good enough to compete at this level and uh it's just the patience for the uh tactical side if Alexa wants to voice her opinion on <laughs> transfers oh, as well, um, what a probably, bitch she is. She's not. Yeah, she's a bitch. <laughs> she probably talks more sense about football than we do. In fairness, but um, well, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, long term, what the um, what the what the effects of that transfer window will be on the club. But it's um, certainly been a summer of change, as it always seems to be at the Swans. Um, let's uh, finish off by looking ahead to the upcoming matches. One of which Tuesday night. Uh, Brighton uh, away at the Amex Stadium in the League Cup. Uh, Steve, we ask this question basically every time we play a cup match. How much priority should we give to this match? And, and what kind of team do you think we should put out there against a Premier League side in Brighton? Uh, priority is obviously must win, if you're asking. But, um, you know, I, th- I think we've got to be realistic here. It's such a hectic schedule. Um, it's probably one of the worst draws we could have, if we're being honest. I mean, it's such a long journey, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I think the players that maybe haven't had a look in recently and then maybe one or two coming back from injury, I think that would be realistic uh, players to play. So looking at Fulton and um, I think Smith, Bidwell hasn't played the last couple of games. Um, so that Brandon Cooper probably deserves another game. Uh, so looking really at those type of players, Liam Callan, another one who's uh, been out of the picture the last couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I think we've got to be realistic here. It's not really a priority for us. We need to get some points on the board in the league, ideally. And, um, you know, if we go out of the cup, uh, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, we've got to be realistic where, as much as I would love us to win it and have another European tour, I don't think that's going to happen somehow. <laughs> oh, not being ambitious enough, quite frankly. Um Matt, uh, we're going to be playing against Graham Potter, um, who is a former manager. Now, the last time 
Um, we well, we we've actually played a couple of memorable League Cup matches against former managers. Of course, we played Brendan Rodgers on the way to the final in 2013, and there was that infamous away game. Uh, away at Wigan against Martinez, where he did not receive a very nice um, response for well from the travelling five thousand fans um, up at Wigan. Um, there are there aren't going to be as many fans, let's face it, down at Brighton um, for this one. But what kind of reaction do you think Graham Potter will or should get from any away fans who do make the journey down to the south coast? Ah, I, I I'd like to think that any. Um, abuse he gets is the sort of uh, um, tongue-in-cheek abuse that um, football fans love to give. I, I think his, his reception should be good. Um, I understand there's a lot of upset, or there certainly was a lot of upset about the manner of him leaving so soon after joining, but um, you know, opportunity came knocking and he could have, you know, I don't think it would have happened, mind you, but it, it could have all fallen apart next season. And um, and he could have been left with, uh, you know, a, a struggle to to find his uh, neck, his big break or his big move into the into the top division. So um, I don't begrudge him it particularly. I think he should get a good response. Um, it could be one that we progress in as well because I don't think Brighton are going to prioritise it. They've had a great start to the Premier League season, and I'm sure they'll want to focus on keeping that up. Um, I'd like to see us keep with. Uh, Keep over Femi, um, give him a chance to open his account because um, Joel Pirro opened his account on the on the first uh, game in this cup run, if we call it that yet. So, uh, you know, it's always an opportunity if you can get a striker off the market that, you know, monkey off his back and uh, opportunity to open his account would be great for him. So um, I'd like to see him given that opportunity. But as Steve said, um, four, five, six changes even maybe. Um and uh, and then it'll just be a case of uh, quite who takes it more seriously, I think, on the day. Yeah, well, in the last round, Brighton beat Cardiff um, 2-0. Um, they, they totally changed their team. Cardiff had quite a few uh, first-teamers in their, in their starting lineup, but... Um, yeah, Brighton. It was it was wholesale changes, and they still managed to to knock Cardiff out of the uh, out of the cup. I, I'd imagine Steve, it's a similar lineup from their point of view. Who are the players that you'd like to see uh, get get a chance to to you know get a few more minutes and and get a confidence boost um, and and test themselves as well against a Premier League team, even if it's even if it is the reserves they put out. Well, I think like like I've said, really. I mean, I, I suppose Bender will. Most likely regain his place in goal. Um, like Hamer played the early cup games, but now he's playing in the league. I think he'll be in there. I mean, like I said, Brandon Cooper seems an obvious one. I'm not sure what the latter Baudier situation was because I think he went off at Preston. We haven't seen him since, but obviously, if he's fit, um, deserve a look in. Bidwell, Corey Smith, Jay Fulton, Liam Cullen. I think those guys are, are likely to play. And um, but I, 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 you know, I don't think we'll make 11 changes. So you, you may well see a few then that played Saturday get a game, but. I suppose Liam Walsh is a, an obvious one as well, really, because mm-hmm. we did start the other day. He only played 45 minutes and he's still feeling his way back from injury. So, you know, I think those guys, uh, they're likely to uh, have a chance at starting. And, and that's what would make sense, really, because we don't want to tire anybody out who we would see as a priority for starting on Saturday. No, absolutely not. We'll wait and see what uh, what happens in that cup match, whether the Swans go through or not. I, I think we're all in agreement. It's not... 
the main priority and the uh, league match coming up at the weekend is much more important because Huddersfield Town come to uh, come to the Liberty Stadium, Matt. Um, they really sucker punched us twice last season. Um, mm. Two games where they, well, they they they, they battered us one. <laughs> well, I, th- I think they're the o- they're quite possibly the only team that did the double over us last season. Now that I think about it. Um, and um, I mean, the first game we we were by far the better side, but they somehow managed to win two one. And the second game then was one where absolutely everything went against, went went you know just not in our favour. They were just and, every, every shot they hit at the back of the net, didn't they? For like a fifteen minute period, <laughs> it was an absurd game, and if it was topped off by Jordan Morris's horrendous injury as well. It was it was one of the worst days of the season last oh, was year. Was that that game? Was it? Yeah, it was. It was a really miserable afternoon that one. Um, so, I mean, can we look forward to better times on Saturday? Oh, I hope so, wouldn't you? I don't think it can get much worse. Um, yeah, they'll obviously look at our start of the season and and think that there's an opportunity to 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 claim an early scalp here. Uh, but um, but no, I'm. Uh, I think it's one of those ones really where you can't predict. It's so early on in the season. Um, they're just sitting just outside the playoffs, so it's fair to say they've had a, a fairly decent start of the season. But I've got all this, the table is so uh, so tight, early doors. Um, we are only a win off twelve uh, ourselves, so it could be uh, all change on the weekend. It's um, it, it, I think it's important again, as I mentioned earlier on, for the other half of the support um, that we do uh, start turning some of these home performances into wins now. Um, because uh, the, the, you can only for so long make the excuse that um, we'll get there, we'll get there before those noises of discontent and those spat, splattered boos that were happening during, at the end of the Hull and Millwall games become more louder groans of discontent. And I think that's when then the uh, it doesn't help anyone because the players then start feeling the pressure. So uh, we need to go into it and we need to um, fully expect and hope that we can... Uh, come away with the three points. Yeah, and Matt, um, sorry, Steve, uh, Huddersfield's start of the season has been pretty random, really. It's much better than most people expected. But um, after, you know, drawing against troubled Derby County, won all the first day of the season, they lost 5-1 at home to Fulham in a real calamitous performance, really, for Huddersfield. At that point, I think people thought this team is going down, really. But then they managed to get a win against Preston. They beat Sheffield United. They got four nil win against Reading, um, and then the last three games they've they've lost two one against uh, a good Stoke City team, thrashed Blackpool three nil. But then on the weekend lost two nil to Huddersfield. So it has been a bit of a random start for Huddersfield, even though they're much higher up in the table than than most of us expected. Yeah, I mean they they lost the Forest. They did, didn't they? They didn't because uh, you said they lost to Huddersfield, but. Uh... As you oh, say, obviously, easy mistake. Um, it's yeah, it is a funny one because Forest obviously have had such a shocking start to the season. Then, is it? As you say, I mean Huddersfield. You'd probably have to say, based on those, it's arguably the most unpredictable team in the division. You don't really know what you're going to get from them, I suppose. So, yeah, I, I mean they have struggled since they got relegated. They haven't obviously they haven't gone down again. But I mean hopes probably weren't particularly high for them this season. I mean the guy that used to design my fanzine uh, supports them, and he's always incredibly negative when you uh, talk to him about them, and he isn't particularly confident about them uh, this season, but I think he's been surprised by some of the good results they've had, so you know um, 
I'm never confident against Huddersfield. In truth, I've uh, there's been some right miserable games with them down the years, so um, I'm I'm not feeling uh, brilliant about uh, playing. I might rather play somebody else. Um, what the top scorer is Matty Pearson, Matt, who's uh, a centre back. So it's a bit of a Cardiff situation there. Um, we've conceded um, well, only three clubs in the championship so far this season have um, have conceded more goals from set pieces than us. Um, should we be worried about that threat, really? Because I think they, you know, that it's quite clear that that's that's been a big uh, a big weapon for them so far this season. Yeah, I think as you say, those those stats do do, do stand out in that regard, um, and and I think it's certainly something we need to address. I think our defensive shape has left a lot to be desired um, for the start of this season, and I understand that it's um, it's almost making them unlearn what they'd learned and and try and relearn it. But I think there is a happy medium there somewhere. Um, I I'd, I'd like to see the defenders be a little bit more um let's make sure we get the ball out to the midfield and uh and 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 breathe and then we can build from there rather than let's try and do pirouettes inside our six yard box but uh we can um we can build on it it just they get this early stage you're right to point it out as a as a threat because we <laughs> well, a couple of days ago only showed how lax we can be at the back and how much of a risk it is when teams um, come at us. So if Huddersfield uh, do put some balls in the box and they have got some set-piece uh, nous about them, then yeah, I can absolutely see that being a, a danger um, for us. Um, but uh, my, um, my, my, hope, my hope is that this the game on game we show some improvement and we show some understanding from the post-match research that we can pick up on because they're not for me, Gitto, they're not like hidden. Why how do we manage to lose this? Or what went wrong there? I mean, for me it's glaring at times how we are conceding these goals and how we are making continued mistakes. I mean, if you're gonna have take the first game of the season, for example, we got caught time and time again um when we were trying to play the ball at the back, but we weren't supporting the man on the ball. So it was easy for us to lose it because there was no one within 15 yards of the man on the ball. So you can't ask them to start splitting the ball through lines on the first game of the season when you've got no one showing for it, which is a big issue we had. And I think that was clear from then, which we have improved on. Take uh, um, the penalty for Luton. I mean, Norton did us on the ball, gets caught, and whether he clips him or not, that's up for debate. But it's a massively avoidable goal. And... All of the goals really were hugely avoidable. Um, didn't get out quickly enough to the man who volleyed the first one in, and the third one was a, another calamity across the six-yard box. So, all of those we could have defended more streetwise, and I think there's a balance to be had there. Um, and it's about identifying where they're going to try and hurt us, and try to be a bit more clever about it. Steve, it's one win at home in our last ten competitive, well, ten league matches, including the playoff semi-final is this something that we should be worried about we spoke earlier about the fact that we've only scored one goal at home um is, is there something right is it's well the style of play that we're trying to play under russell martin do we make it easier for teams visiting teams than we really should do by by playing that style and by not really 
Um, but well, yeah, do we, against Hull and Millwall, we really played into their hands, really by by playing it a little bit slower and um, maybe giving them a chance to sit behind um, the ball and just defend. You know, is is this something that we are going to find difficult this season when we play at the Liberty? I mean, possibly. I mean, you look at Hull being a newly promoted team, and then Millwall under Gary Rowett. I think they're teams that, in general, are you know they they're not going to try and dominate the ball. So, you know, but not everybody's like that. I mean, I think from Huddersfield, I think with obviously they've got Marcelo Bielsa's former assistant. I think they may show a little bit more than those teams, which is probably a good thing from our point of view because we. I think we've always struggled quite often when we've been a possession team against those teams that basically decide to sit in their own half and ask us to break them down. I mean, so, you know, I think the overall record, as you say, I mean, one win in 10, it, it's not great, is it? It's, it's, it's not good enough, is is the truth. I mean, if that continues, then we're going to have problems. But, um, you know, you do look at the last couple of games, I think we, we definitely could have won at least one of them, I would say. I mean, the Stoke game, we were given the hiding. We can't argue there. Sheffield United, we, we didn't do enough to win, but I think we we certainly had the, the chances, or, or maybe with the, the Hull game, obviously, we could have had penalties, so I would say, yeah, the, the last couple did give us some grounds for hope, but, I mean, if you're looking at it as a, as a whole, though, that one win in 10, I mean, it's, it's not good enough, and at the end of last season, we struggled at home, didn't we, but obviously, it's a different manager, a lot of the players are not here now, so it's a bit of a clean slate, really, so I'd it's probably more effective to look at the way of, obviously, we've had four home games and we haven't won any of them rather than one win in, in 10 overall looking at it. But, um, you know, we're just going to have to see how it um, how it pans out. But we do need a win soon. I mean, and if, uh, well, a- after this uh, Saturday as well, the next home game is a must win regardless. So, um, yeah, let's hope we've got one uh, on that day at least. Steve's referring to Cardiff there, which, as we all know, is a must-not-lose, not a must-win. We, we all know the rules of this of this derby. Come on, now. Um, it, it is worth pointing out, though, that, that the upcoming matches do look very, very difficult, um, certainly more difficult than the matches we've had up until this point. It's It's been a... You know, it, it's not been the toughest of um, opening uh, opening stages to, to the season, but we're about to play a lot of teams around the top end of the table, including a lot of the top six. Um, and Huddersfield is sitting just outside that top six. So it shouldn't really be a very uh, easy game this weekend. And with that in mind, let's have your predictions. Matt, start with you this week. Are oh, the Swans going to get their first home win of the season? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think I think Set scoring... a lot of conviction there, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, looking at the table. I'm just staring at the table, and I'm just thinking, right? Do you know what? We scored three goals against Luton. I know Luton defensively have often, well, since they've been in the championship, have left a bit to be desired. But in terms of the confidence that'll give us that we can score. And I you know he talked about a lowly goal total. Um, we can go at Huddersfield. We know we've got the players there that can hurt them and the confidence. Three goals outside the box. That, to me, tells us that we're now going to hopefully show a little bit more um, eagerness to hit the ball when the opportunity arises. So let's say, let's say the glass half full again. Let's say we're going to win this one. We're going to win it 2-1. Oof. 2-1, says Matt. Steve, what about you? Um... I'm going to sit on the fence and say one all. I, uh, I'm i not sure that win's going to come on the weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, I do. Well, I was thinking one all too. But hopefully the the second half performance against Luton will really give us confidence and we'll see, 
you know, let's take the game to, to Huddersfield team who've had a good start to the season um, and, and won't be short of confidence when they come down here. So I'm hoping that we'll be, um, that, that we'll give them a really good game. And I think, we've, you know, if we can attack the way we did in the second half against Luton, there's every chance that we're going to get goals. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, it's been a slightly longer podcast than usual uh, this week, but in fairness, we had a heck of a lot to discuss just with that Luton match. Hope you enjoyed reliving that amazing experience with us. Hope it didn't give you uh, a repeat of the palpitations that we all felt on Saturday. Um, but that's uh, really summed up the joy of football, isn't it? Why we all love this sport and why we all follow Swansea City too. So until next time, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.